Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Monday edition of New York, New York, where yours truly, JJ Johnson-Stremski. Right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I don't know where I stand going into this last weekend in July from this standpoint. I want to be all in football. I want to say, you know, the baseball season is dead to me. It's over. I have nothing to watch. I have nothing to get excited about. And don't get me wrong. I am not envisioning in any avenue, in any platform, in any scenario where all of a sudden I'm getting sucked back in for the New York Yankees and the Mets, who we'll get to momentarily, lose two out of three to the Boston Red Sox just so that moments ago. It's hard to imagine you're going to get sucked back in to their particular 2023 season. But as football crazy as I want to be, and I am football crazy right now, we're going to have Jordan Renan do some Giants a little bit later on in the show. I know Jet fans in my life are going nuts texting me Aaron Rodgers to Garrett Wilson video, Aaron Rodgers ovation videos. Like they, they, they can't get enough of this stuff. So I get the sense that New York City is ready to embrace football with open arms. However, it's a weird predicament for us to be in going into the final installment of the 2023 Subway Series. And the Yankees are not exactly in last stand mode because they had a very productive weekend. It helps when you play one of the worst teams in all of Major League Baseball in the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, I heard Susan say this yesterday when I was driving around after Kate's bridal shower listening to the game. And it was a point that was made even by the television broadcast. These games for the Yankees against Kansas City were not easy. It's not like the Yankees won, you know, 15 to nothing in every single one of these games. They had to sweat it out on Friday, was in the building for that. They had to sweat it out, which was a cold start on Saturday. And even today, after scoring all the runs, you had to sweat it out a smidge 
late in the game with King, and then, of course, with Marinaccio in the ninth inning. The Yankees are not a positional where you say, wow, it's the last stand for them because Judge is on the horizon. You figure between now and August the 1st, they're going to add to this team in some capacity to what extreme, to what measure. I still think that remains to be seen depending on what's available, depending on what they can do, depending on how they view the team as a whole. You know, like there are a lot of, there are a lot of variables in play when it comes to that. The Mets, on the other hand, though, I looked at this weekend against the Red Sox and I said, you got Senga, you got Scherzer, and to a lesser extent, you have Carrasco. But especially with Senga and Scherzer, you got you to gotta start winning series. You're running out of time if you're going to envision any hope or any possibility that this team is going to get back in the thick of things here in the wild card race. So they lose the final game against the Chicago White Sox. They win the weird Friday postponement, then the Saturday continuation game. And you're like, okay, three out of four, four out of five. Scherzer on the mound against the Red Sox. Maybe win this series and there's momentum going into Yankee Stadium on Tuesday and Wednesday. And Max Scherzer fails to cooperate. And once again, this continues to be a theme, a pattern that has been Max Scherzer's M.O. this year. And really, it's been Max Scherzer's M.O. going back to the end of last year. When the Mets really need Scherzer, and I mean really need Scherzer, when they need the big start, when they need to either continue a winning streak or, or stop a losing skid, or for him to go and earn that $40-plus million, for him to go and be an ace, he fails to do it again and again and again and again. And Scherzer, after the game, basically at a loss. You could tell it bugs him. You could tell he's bothered by it. But the care, the passion, that, 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 that means very little to me. Listen, that's great. I appreciate the fact that Max Scherzer cares about being the best he can be at this stage in his career. But the reality for the Mets is he's not the guy he once was. And with all of the other problems that are going on with this Met team, the lineup not being as good, Pete Alonso clearly not being right, if it's the injury, if it's just a funk, I don't know what it is. Even watching this at bat Sunday night against the Red Sox, came up with a couple of runners on base, and you just like, you don't have the least bit confidence that he's going to go and slug one and wreck a game and be a difference maker. I've seen enough of the Mets. I mean, I don't think you're getting a wholesale sell-off, but the idea that I'm going to envision the Mets now getting back in this thing in the National League, I don't see it. I mean, do you? I think Fangraphs put their playoff chances at like 18%. To me, that's entirely too high. And that's basically just, okay, there are some guys here who have brand names, brand name resumes, back of the baseball card maybe type of feel, look, whatever. But the math works against the Mets. And the look and the feel basically should tell you all you need. So maybe they win a game at Yankee Stadium. Maybe they win two games at Yankee Stadium. I just am 
still at a point here where I'm waiting for the Mets to fire. I'm waiting for the Mets to click, and it's the end of July. So I, I don't know why I'm waiting anymore. I'm not. I'm at the point where, yeah, 2023, no matter how it ends up, and I'm not one of these people, and I know there are some out there saying, oh, if we finish strong, that really, that's, no, it, it sends no message to me. The Mets fail to make the postseason this year. It is a monumental flop. Whether they win 85 games or 75 games, it's a monumental flop. So I'm not one of those people that's going to get all wrapped up if they get back in this thing and fall short and give you the old college try. I don't care. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to say it's a lost season and a missed opportunity. So as the Mets get ready for the Subway Series, the narrative around them is who's going to be here in about a month? Or I should rephrase that. Who's going to be here by the end of the month? Because the deadline is August 1st. So by this time next week, are we looking at a much different Met team or are we looking at more of the same? Those answers obviously are going to be figured out. I I think it's going to be some hybrid of it. I, I think you will have some changes. I think there will be some veterans on the move. I do not think you're getting like, holy shit changes. Does that make sense? I don't expect that with Mets. Now, if there's one thing I'm going to be excited about from a Yankee perspective today, and listen, we haven't had much to feel good about. We've killed the team every which way. And I know some people are going to say, JJ, you kill them all the time. Why are you applauding them for having a little bit of fun? I got a great chuckle out of the silent treatment for Anthony. And if the Yankees have any hope, and I mean any hope of getting into the playoffs, you got to hope that we look at this Sunday game where he gets four hits against the Kansas City Royals as the reawakening of Anthony Rizzo's season. You could tell it was like, holla freaking Louie, I hit a home run. It's like the weight of the world had been lifted off his shoulders. First time Rizzo had hit a home run in two plus months for the New York Yankees. And you want to see it continue now. Verlander, Herman on Tuesday, Rodon, Quintana. Is Quintana pitching maybe to be somewhere else by this time next week? Yankee Stadium reaction for Carlos Rodon after his uh, little stint in Anaheim should be fascinating. I will be in the building for that one on Wednesday night, so I'm very intrigued to see how that's going to play out. But listen, the Yankees did what they needed to do this week. The Mets did not. I don't think the Subway Series is all of a sudden going to get somebody to completely buy back in. But what I do think it could do is if you go and play poorly that much more for the Mets, maybe it's deeper changes than the ones I'm even thinking of. Maybe it leads to something a little bit more seismic. Who knows? Speaking of a weird change, how about Andy Pettit coming back to the Yankee organization out of nowhere? And if there's one department within the Yankees that I, for one, have absolutely no issue with, and I think it's well-documented on this podcast, how down I am on the general manager, how down I am on the manager, how down I am on the scouting department, how down I am on their analytics department. Like, I have a lot of issues and problems and critiques with the Yankees. That's all true. But Matt Blake's job has not been a problem to me. Andy Pettit was pitching coach in the World Baseball Classic. Clearly, he has an itch to be around a game. Maybe he's bored at home in Texas, and he's like, yeah, I want, want back in. I want to be around a big league club. That's a good thing for the Yankees. Listen, anytime you have somebody of the pedigree and the resume and the, just the winning 
vibes that a guy like Pettit brings about and the influence he could have, like, yeah, he should be around the team as much as possible. But for those wondering, oh, is Andy Pettit on his way to becoming the next Yankee pitching coach? That I don't see because I think they should be very happy with the guy they have. That is at least the way I see it. And that's my two cents. So, Subway Series, definitely not as highly anticipated as what we had a year ago when the Yankees and the Mets did battle in late July and then did battle again in late August. Not going to have that same feel when both teams are nowhere close to first place. But, listen, you kill the Yankees when they get swept by the Angels and when they lose two out of three to the Rockies, you got to be fair. All right, they did what they were supposed to do. They held serve. Now, can they hold serve that much more against the Mets before fascinating weekend coming up against the Orioles, the first place Baltimore Orioles on Friday, on Saturday, and on Sunday next weekend? A couple quick hitters on the football. The Jeff fans in my life, you guys right now are on another freaking planet. And this is what happens when you make exciting changes in an offseason. You have Jeff fans in my life gushing about Aaron Rodgers to Garrett Wilson in, in warm-ups and training camp like it's game five of the NFL regular season. But, listen, I get it. When your quarterback last year was Zach Wilson, the idea of somebody like Aaron Rodgers throwing the football to someone as talented as Garrett Wilson, I'm sure he's going to fire you up. I'm sure he's going to put a little extra pep in your step. And... Garrett Wilson's got a chance to be, in my opinion, one of the best receivers in the NFL this season. I saw him last year in person. I think I've told this story a couple of different times on the podcast. I saw him in person in Miami. That last game of the year, Joe Flacco's a quarterback. And the Jet offensive line was in absolute tatters. The Jet line was in total shambles across the board. I saw Garrett Wilson tear up and destroy a Dolphin secondary that basically had two guys on him at all times. Amazing to watch. Now you give him a quarterback? I think the expectation, and you guys as Jet fans can correct me if I'm wrong, Garrett Wilson should be a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL this season. Why not? He's got the ability. He's got the quarterback. He's got the skill level. He's got the makeup. He's got what you're looking for. Why can't Garrett Wilson go and be a top 10 receiver across the sport? I think he's going to have that sort of year. So, listen, the excitement over dopey training camp videos is one thing. That excitement, seeing it on the field come September through December, I think you're going to have a lot of that. We're going to have Jordan Renata on the pod, which I'm fired up about because I love his work covering the Giants. And is there a possibility that Saquon Barkley could actually miss the start of the regular season. I don't buy it. I don't see it. I know he's ticked off. I know he's angry. Does Saquon Barkley strike you as the sort of dude that's basically going to go and miss games? I don't envision living in that world. His PR image, doing the right thing, saying the right thing. This is very unlike Saquon if he goes down that road. So, I don't see it. But I asked the people who are around the team. 
because sometimes they have a better sense and a better feel than I do. So we'll get you ready for Giant Training Camp, which opens up on Wednesday. He's going to be the number one receiver. Have they closed the gap with the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys? A little bit. They have a little bit. They have a chance to be a playoff team again. There's no doubt. Do I think they're on the same level in playing field as those two teams? I do not. So we'll have some fun with Jordan Renan. Also, it's a giant stuff. Then we'll have some fun with some voicemails and set the stage for what's coming up this week. Renan, Giants, up next. The U.S. women's soccer team is taking on the world, and you can take home bonus bets every time they win with FanDuel. Because right now, new customers get $100 in bonus bets guaranteed, plus another $10 in bonus bets for every Team USA win. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app and sign up between now and August 3rd. Then place your first $5 bet to unlock your bonus bets. That way you'll be set to bet on everything from total goals to player props all tournament long. However you want to play, don't miss your chance to get $10 in bonus bets for every Team USA win. Plus, $100 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Must be 21 plus in present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued is now withdrawable bonus bets, which expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduelcom slash sportsbook. We're fired up for the start of the Giants season. Expectations ratcheted up a little bit. You go to the playoffs, you win a playoff game. Giant fans in my life, very optimistic, very fired up, but they're wondering, well, is Saquon going to be there? Is Saquon going to hold out? So we want to make some sense of this. Let's welcome in Jordan Renan from ESPN. Uh, buddy, it's good to see you once again. Another season has come. Uh, I think it's fair to say the expectations in our preseason giant chatter this time around are going to be drastically different than the convo you and I had a, yeah. a year ago at this time. It's funny because I actually think the expectations might be too high now. Because they outplayed their talent last year, if you know what I mean. So they might have only been like a six-win ta- six talent team. But once you go 9-7-1, and one, now people expect you to, okay, it's not you have to make the playoffs. Like The natural progression would have been like 6-8-9, you know, playoff team 10-11-12, right? That's kind of what you're expecting, that kind of incremental growth. But now that you get nine first year people, I don't I think they'd be disappointed with eight, nine wins this year if they don't make the playoffs. Where honestly, I think that might be what they are. So it's interesting. It's like, what is what is a successful season for this team? And how much is that built on expectations of the fact that they outplayed their talent last year? I think that's an excellent point, Jordan. The schedule is a lot trickier this year. A lot. They got the AFC South and they got the NFC North last year. They were able to feast off the AFC South. I mean, they beat Jacksonville. Yeah, and they got Jacksonville at the right time. They got Tennessee early in the year, and that kind of jump started them. I'm right there with you. I think they are more talented. I believe in the program and the foundation, but you could easily tell me, Jordan, they're a better team this year. They look better, they the feel better, thing. and they're eight and nine or nine and eight. I'm not gonna be shocked by that. Yeah, no, I actually think that's a realistic possibility. The schedule is just so much hard. Think about this, JJ. First of all, they play the 49ers. Gonna be a tough game to start with, right? Okay, how about the fact that that's a Thursday night in prime time? Good luck winning that if you're any team in the NFL, right? 
They play Buffalo. That's going to be a tough game. All right. That's another one. Road game, prime time. So the schedule is definitely a lot tougher than it was this year. And the AFC East, obviously, instead of the AFC South, you have the AFC South, which might be one, if not the worst division in football, the second worst, at least, you know, last year. And then you're replacing that with the AFC East, which you can make the argument is the best division in football this year. Okay, I might have buried the lead a little bit here. You've probably gotten 10 zillion of these questions, so I apologize that I got to be the guy to ask you again. Yeah. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of warm you up to this a little bit here, there, Jordan. Are you surprised that we're sitting here at this point mm-hmm. and training camp's about to start, the Giants coming off the year that they had, Saquon Barkley coming off the year that he had, and yet he doesn't have a contract. You're around the team. You know the ins and outs of the negotiations. Are you surprised we're here? I want to say no because like a lot of the signs were there, but I, I have to be realistic. Like a week before the deadline, I was like, yeah, hey, you know what? He'll just give in and take whatever best offer they have because when you're in the position he's in as a running back with the franchise, like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Just the economics, the basic economics of it, right? And, you know, I speak to agents and executives. And the way they explain it to me is like, in order for him, in order for a deal to be worth it for him, he has to get more than what the two franchise tags are worth in guaranteed money, basically. Like that's the the two franchise tags, which is $22.2 million guaranteed, has to be like basically the floor. That's not even a good deal if he takes that, right? It needs to be really more than that. So the more I think about it, the more I realize, you know, the, all the hints that were out there, Joshin doesn't want to invest heavily in a running back that's not his ideal world you know i want to say no but at the same time as i thought they would just make something work because saquon doesn't have a lot of great options and now what's his best option give them hell right and make sure he doesn't get the franchise tag next year like that's his best case scenario at this point pretty much and i feel for the guy jordan because he had an amazing season He comes back off the injury. He's one of the main reasons why the Giants end up in the playoffs. He's hands down their best offensive threat. And I love the guy. So I hate like coming on and like, you know, I've been siding with the Giants here on this. To me, it's it's a no-brainer. The running back position is devalued. Like if you're a smart organization, you pay quarterbacks, you pay tackles, you pay corners, you don't pay running backs big money. And listen, I think Joe Shane is looking at this and he's saying, I love you, Saquon. Coach Dayball loves you, but we look at your position. We are going to allot this, and that's the way it is. We don't want to go and give you that five, six-year deal. And listen, the NFL now, that's all monopoly money. Anyway, we get it's, that. It's about they guaranteeing. Don't want the long, about they don't want to guarantee a ton of money, for sure. Yeah. So we hear all the running backs complaining, right? They're not happy. And they're like, we deserve more. Well, you know what? If you really want to prove that you deserve more running money and you're a running back. Name me who you think the best running backs in the NFL are. McCaffrey, Henry, uh, Saquon, you know, Eckler. go down the line. Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb. Put them all together, JJ. All together. Tell me how many championships they've won. Tell me how many times they've even gotten close to winning a championship with any of those teams, right? If you want to prove your worth, to an NFL team, go win a Super Bowl. You know, that's the only way for it to happen because then general managers will look at it and say, there's a way I can roster, do roster construction 
with a running back that's getting paid. There's a route out there. In the meantime, you're looking at it. Every team that wins, dating back to what, over a, dec- a decade ago, I guess with Marshawn Lynch, and they had the number one defense in the NFL. So in order to win with that kind of guy, you need to have the number one, like literally a dominant all-time number one defense. So until one of these guys wins, yeah, none of these general managers, none of these teams are going to want to do their roster construction and fill in a big number for a running back. That's why that's Saquon's biggest problem. And you look at Henry, who is a future first ballot Hall of Famer. He's been incredible in Tennessee. He's on his way out. Bingo. Think about how it's going. He's on his way out. They kind of feel like they've maxed out. Uh, they didn't win. They came close. But when they went up against the great quarterback, Why did they win? the great offense, what happens? Why didn't they win? Quarterback. Because their quarterback was Ryan Tannehill. And it's not good enough to win a Super Bowl unless your team is like amazing everywhere else. Right? And why, why don't you have a better quarterback? Because you're paying a lot of money to the running back. That's part of the reason. So, yeah, it's a dead-end spot. And now the Giants are stuck in this spot because they're franchising Saquon, which is great for them, right? That was the whole thing. Joe Shane said this from the start. They had all these plans laid out of potential ways the offseason was going to go. And one of them was for Saquon Barkley to be on the franchise tag and play on the franchise tag. And they fully believe he's going to play on the franchise tag because I know you're big bucks, J.J., but uh, almost 600K a game, you're turning that down? you turn down $10 no, million a year? Uh, I, I'm not. And that's why there are some Giant fans in my life who have asked me over the last week, is he going to sit out? I'm like, no chance. There's absolutely no chance I think we're living in a world where I'm watching week one Jordan against the Dallas Cowboys and Saquon Barkley is sitting in a luxury suite somewhere. Well, I can't see it. I think like one game, like there's a there's a route that he can make a statement. Yeah, he could... Mike Tannenbaum at ESPN brought this up, and I thought this was interesting. He called it a hold-in. So basically, Saquon could show up, let's say, a week before the regular season starts and say, I'm not ready physically. I'm going to need a couple weeks to be ready. He's there. You kind of have to pay him. But he ends up sitting out that Cowboys game to kind of make a point. Hey, you you guys think you, you really don't need me and I'm not the best player on your offense? Go play that Cowboys defense, which, by the way, is – pretty darn awesome added Stefan Gilmore to a, a unit that did enough to beat San Francisco last year in the playoffs by the way right they were awesome in that game the Dallas defense go out there in that game and you don't have Saquon Barkley right you have a below average offensive line probably you have a wide receiving core that's okay better definitely but it's not a high-end re- receiving core and your number one receivers your, your tight end obviously they're better at tight end and then going into the backfield of Gary Brightwell, Eric Gray, and Matt Breda. That would be a good that would be a way you could he could certainly make a point there. So do I think there's a route for him to maybe miss a game, a two, something like that? Maybe. But like you said, in the end, do I think Saquon Barkley is going to play for the Giants this season? A hundred percent, absolutely. Um, you're around him a lot, Jordan. And I know the running backs right now are kind of like all bonding together. Austin Eckler's upset in L.A. Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs is upset in Vegas. Saquon's got his deal going on with the Giants. He's pissed. Um, Legitimately but, and, and pissed. And listen, uh, all right. Is he pissed enough, though, to make that sort of statement in week one? Because that's a bold move, basically saying, you know what? I'm showing up a week before the season, but I'm not ready. It's Dallas Cowboys, Sunday Night Football. Hundreds of millions of people are getting ready to watch me, and eh, I'm not ready to play. All right. 
here's why I'm very hesitant to say he would do that. Because when you do get to know him, like he takes pride in his reputation and his image. Like that means a lot to him, right? He always says the right things. He knows what he's, you know, like publicly, like that's not by accident. That means something to him. Like I always tell people, I think he's a lot more like Odell than people realize, but he really knows how to handle himself publicly. You know, like some of the things maybe that goes through his head or thinks, but like he knows how to control himself and not just blurt him out. Right. And make yourself look bad. Uh, so with knowing that he's created and constructed this image, I, it, it makes me like, does he really, it'll make him look selfish. Everyone will jump down his throat. That would be a ballsy move. And against everything I've seen from him so far throughout his career. Okay. Giants were a playoff team. When they played Dallas, when they played Philadelphia, they were thoroughly outclassed. I mean, the Eagles, forget about it. That playoff game was over in five minutes, Jordan. Like, that was one of those games I bet the Giants plus whatever they were. I saw in the opening drive, I said, that's the dumbest bet I made all year because the Eagles are going to win this game by 30-plus points. And, and whatever the final score was, it wasn't as bad as was it looked Was it 24 nothing at halftime? I think it might have been. It, it, it felt yeah. like it was 48 to nothing at halftime. Like, the, <laughs> the Eagles could do whatever the hell they wanted to do. And a feel-good Giants season came to a close. Mm -hmm. Do you feel this team, with their offseason, they're definitely a little bit more dynamic. Go and get Darren Waller. They get the youngster out of Tennessee. We'll see if he can play. Paris Campbell. Like, they at least have, like, some semblance of professionalism at wide receiver. Like it's a, They don't have Tyree Kill and Jamal Waddle. They don't have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, but they, they're getting there. They're moving in the right direction. Have they closed the gap at all, you think, with Philly and Dallas? <sighs> Very a little bit. I think they've closed the gap a little bit on the Eagles. Maybe not so much on the Cowboys. They're, I think they're still a notch below them on both those teams. I guess they have closed the gap, though, because the Giants are a better team, and those two have probably stayed the same a little bit. Right? The Eagles lost some players. They're, they're banking on young guys, but they also, I mean, I don't see them having a big drop-off at running back, even though they lost Miles Sanders, right, when they go and trade for guys like DeAndre Swift and, you know, pick up guys like they do, so... They're still, the bottom line is, in my mind, they're still a notch below those teams, talent-wise. So they're, they're going to have, this is the thing about the Giants, right? If the Gi if Joe Shane thought the Giants and, the, and John Mara and the whole ownership, if they really, deep in their bones, thought that they were a Super Bowl contender, they would have just signed Barkley and that, not worried about that derailing their season. But they're looking at it on a bigger picture, right? They're still part of a reconstruction of this team. They're not there yet. They know that. Like they, Joe Shane, I'm pretty sure, was stunned that they won that many games last year. Right? And he's looking at the roster, and he knows it's still not there. Like he, Trust me, he wants a number one receiver. Just this wasn't the year to get a number one receiver. Right? He didn't want to invest. Like Where the Giants are, does it make sense to invest in a DeAndre Hopkins? No. In his mind, no. And so you're seeing all these signs. They realize they're not – they're not – at the point where they're competing for a Super Bowl this year. So, yeah, they're still behind those teams. They still have room to make up in regards to that. And that's why we're sitting here with the Saquon situation. Not like we need to sign him at all costs so it doesn't derail our season. So the internal strife doesn't, you know, blow up in our face. No, they're saying, oh, well, we're more worried about how do we build our team to get to the point where we're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And they know they're not there yet. You know what helps them, though? The conference they're in. Outside of Philly and Dallas and San Francisco, 
Conference stinks, Jordan. I mean, the NFC North, unless you're all in on the Lions, the rest of those teams leave a lot to be desired. The South doesn't have one team that will keep me up at night. The Lions won a playoff game in like our lifetime, JJ. That's what I mean. Literally. Literally. I don't want to make a joke and hurt your feelings, but it's like people telling me the Dolphins are going to be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, how about they make the playoffs win a playoff game first? Well, listen, that's my that's my benchmark for the season. Like, and I want to get giddy, and I am actually very fired up about their team. I, I think they're, they're a good very, team, very good. But it's the same but they concept. have to win a playoff before you I'm talking just Super Bowl. Win a playoff game. Bowl. I agree. I agree. Win a playoff game, which is something they have not done in 22 years since Jay Fiedler and Lamar Smith. Yes. Even the biggest of Giants fans, deep down in their bones, thought that that was a real Super Bowl type contending team. It was a great story. They overachieved. Everybody knows it. They weren't super talented. They played in a way that they were able to hide their weaknesses, and then they they moved on from there. So, yeah, it's it's they're not at that point yet where I think we're talking about the Cowboys and the Eagles. That's where we started. I really do. Um, do you think differently? No, I don't. I think they can be a playoff team again because of the NFC. I think that's the biggest thing to have going for them. Uh, D- Dallas pisses me off, though, man. You know, like, they, it, I feel like it's the same conversation we have with them. And they're talented. Like, there's no question. Their defense is really good. They, they have the infrastructure. The line is not as good as it's once been. And, no, it's you know, not. there's the same never ending question about Dak Prescott being good enough to go and win, like, multiple games in January. Kind of think the Cowboys are what they have been under McCarthy. They'll win 10, 11 games. They maybe win a playoff game and won't get to the Super Bowl. That'd be my I best. I actually think that. Brandon Cooks and Stefan Gilmore are good moves for that team. Like, those are good quality players. Yeah, they're older, but, like, that's the move you make when you're the Cowboys and you know that window's shrinking, right? That's why I view them and the Giants very differently. They're in that window where they know, oh, that's shrinking. We're not – how much longer are we going to ride back here and not go anywhere, right? Uh, guys like Demarcus Lawrence are getting older. Zach Martin's getting up there. Uh, Tyron Smith's he's already up there, right, and falling apart. So how much longer do they really have with this group? I Those are big moves for them. I think those could be two really good players. And I also like Dak, and I nobody wants to hear this, especially as a Giant fan. I actually like him to bounce back a little bit. Like, Dak Prescott never had an interception problem. Right? He actually had really low interception numbers. Played poorly at times last year. Played awful in the playoff loss. Also played great the week before. But I think that's probably, uh, you know, every year is different. You're going to have good years and bad years. I think that's probably one of his bottom years, right? So the likelihood is he's better than he was last year. Okay. Trying to figure out, I think, for these fantasy nut jobs out there, oh, who's going to lead the Giants in receptions this year? Like, if we take Saquon out of it, forget about the number. Who is going to be Daniel Jones' favorite target, you think? Darren Waller, as long as he stays healthy. I was going to say, depending on how many games he plays, Big right? if, but yeah, I really think that Darren Waller is going to be that guy. Harris Campbell is going to play a big role, I believe. Uh, he's probably going to get the first crack at the, playing the slot. I know they have a gazillion slot receivers, and I was like, what the hell are they doing? And they like to move guys around. But it looks like they, at least from the spring, it looks like they have big plans for Paris Campbell. And he's another one. He could play in this league, but can he stay healthy? He's had injury problems, you know, throughout his career so far. So, uh, but I do think that their general philosophy is sort of strength by numbers. So I don't even think they know the answer to that. They want it to be Darren Waller, 
cross their fingers, hope he stays healthy. I think if I had to pick a receiver, which receiver would lead the team in catches, right now I'd probably go with Paris Campbell. Wide receiver, I'm saying. Wide receiver. Okay. Do you think Hyatt can have a big role this year, or is that asking too much? I think we're going to see him used in a way that we kind of saw Kadarius Tony early last year. Like he's going to be like a 10 to 15 snap guy used moving him around, motioning him, uh, maybe a jet sweep, uh, try to hit him in some, you know, out of the slot on some deep routes, you know, uh, crossing routes, stuff like that. But I, I think it's going to take time for them to feel comfortable with him playing a bigger role. And you have all these guys there that I just, I don't see a route where you, he's going to get 30, you know, 40 routes run a game. I just don't see how that plays out. Like it, let's just consider that Sterling Shepard's not there. We, Cause you, it's hard to count on him at this point, but even then you have Hyatt, you have Paris Campbell, uh, you have Wandale Robinson. Now you have Cole Beasley. You have Hodgins and Slayton on the outside. Like, where is where are all these snaps for Jalen Hyatt this year? I just have a hard time seeing them be like, well, those guys aren't going to play at all. Everyone's going to get like 20 snaps. No, I get it. And listen, I'm right there with you. It's tough for wide receivers as rookies to break through. And when you're in a crowded room to begin with and the team is going to play a lot of these veterans, that it's problematic. Training camp now. But I do think. You're going to see a, some big plays from him because that speed is okay. obvious, man. So, like, you know, you might not see him that often, but when he is there, you're going to see him hit a big play. What do you like the most these first couple weeks of training camp? I know it's hot. I know it's miserable. I know it's guys getting back into rhythm. Is there anything you can take, Jordan, from, like, getting out there, being out there day in and day out and be like, all right, I can get a sense or a feel like two or three weeks in, or is that just like totally overblown and overrated? No, I think you could see who's like a legitimate player and who's not really quickly, like especially with rookies and like even with veterans. Like I knew, I, you know, I, I gave Tenny Galladay the benefit of the doubt last year. He was out in the spring, but after like two weeks, I was like, this dude can't run, can't run, can't run anymore. I think the line I used was he re- was running with the stiffness of a mannequin. And you you saw, and everybody saw, like, trust me, the Dane Giants knew right away. You saw when he was on the field during the season, like it was over for him. He couldn't run. So you could tell real quick which guys can play and which guys can't. And, you know, sometimes it takes a little time. I remember Darius Slayton in his first practice ever with the Giants in the spring at like rookie minicamp, literally dropped eight, nine passes in one practice. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't know if this guy could ever play. But in reality, yeah, he could play. But what's his one Achilles heel? Can't catch the ball at times. Drops the ball. And so like, you, you saw that right away. So you could really quickly find out who's not the real deal and who is. Final one. The Yankees sweep the Kansas City Royals this weekend. I know. All right. Uh, throw the parade down at Kansas City. I had Heroes. a take for you on the Yankees, by the way, so I'm going to fit it in here. The, I'm glad you're going to do that. Here's my question, though. What is it going to take for you to get sucked back in with this team? Because I, I know I'm kind of at a point, even though they're two out of a wild card, Jordan, I, I can't stand watching them. I, they have zapped you. a lot of life out of me. I don't know how I could honestly 
fully mentally get back in. So I'm going to ask you the question I've been toying with this weekend. The only way I'm back in is if they get a high, high end hitter, like a big hitter. I'm talking like Paul Goldschmidt, Arenado, something like that. I don't, I'm just throwing names out there. I doubt those guys are even available, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even want to say Otani because I don't think that's realistic, but like, it has to be like, their lineup is so bad. I can't watch their lineup every day. And this is, this is what I was thinking today. Cause I, I watched it. I know he got banged up in the game. Yankee fans would sit there and say, they need to get rid of Glaber Torres. Like you need your head examined. I'm sorry. That's insane. Because the lineup is so bad, and I get it. He makes a bonehead play once a month where you're like, what is going through his head? And that's part of what comes with the package of Gleyber Torres. It's like he doesn't know how to play baseball half the time. But he is one of the only guys on this team who he's he's their best hitter besides Aaron Judge. Like, this team stinks hitting. You can't get rid of the only guy that can hit. It's insane. Especially now. Especially if you have any hope of trying to get in the playoffs. Now, if your message is, well, we don't care about this season and we're waving the white flag on this season, right. that's a different conversation. But do we but really if you think are they're trying to win, no, of course not. There's not a chance in hell they're going to wave the white flag on this season. There's too much at stake for all the people involved. And I'm with you on Torres. Listen, he's frustrating. He's frustrating. never the player that I thought he was going to be. Like in I thought he was an MVP caliber guy. Well, yeah. dude, they were talking him and Acuna and Soto, like all these guys who are like 22, 23 years old. He's an above average second baseman. He's a fine player. He's okay. But to your point, he's hands down their best hitter outside of Aaron Judge. The numbers back it up. He's clearly. the least a professional hitter. Like everyone else is wilting before our eyes. So like, I, I can't believe people are like, we need to get rid of Gleyber Torres. Like, really? I have six guys I want to get rid of before Gleyber Torres. <laughs> they have no left fielder to hit. They have no catcher. They have no third baseman. And by the way, their shortstop happens to be rookie. That's four spots. I'm not even counting Rizzo, who has been awful for a long time. Uh, let's just say Rizzo gets starts hitting a little bit. Like today was obviously a good thing for him. But you have four positions where you basically have nothing in your lineup. Well, we're going to go to the playoffs again, and, and, and you're going to win with that? Come on. No chance. People get no caught. Why? You- JJ, tell me why, what your opinion is. Why do we people get caught up every year with their starting pitching? Like they need a starter. They need to well, we, look Rodon. That's what we needed. What? It's like they didn't watch the playoffs. They forget the playoffs. After it's the, the playoffs same goal. shit in the playoffs every year. It's You're not so not right. Their starters, they don't hit. It's not they their don't pitching. Hit. Their lineup isn't good enough. They spent the and I have no problem with the Rodon. And, and, fo- and tell me and that was the, a good move. Uh, see, I had no problem with the signing. Because it looked like you're taking a strength and making it that much greater. So, like, fine, okay. But, but address the hitting somewhere, then. I agree. Well, they had about four lefty outfielders they could have signed in the offseason. Peralta, Conforto, ben Bellinger, Benny. who they might give up a couple of prospects for the next week or so. And instead, I like they ben, said, no. I liked Ben Attendee. I thought that was a good move that unfortunately didn't work out for Cashman. Just unlucky. He broke his hand swinging. And they got a five-year contract. I couldn't believe he got a five-year contract. Yeah, the but guy doesn't hit with power. He's at half the price of Brandon Nimmo. It's actually not crazy compared to what the market is for these guys. But a guy like Bell, dude, they could have had Conforto though for like ten million dollars a year, which would have been a bargain basement. Play last year, bargain basement. They don't want to take that chance. So Jordan, listen, the Yankees will continue to drive me to drink. Hopefully, for Giant fans, they won't be driven to drink with what's going on with Saquon Barkley. So you expect to see him? Gut feel right now. Final one. You expect to see him week one against Dallas? See him in early September. All right. 
I think Giant fans will sign for that. Yeah. They will sign So basically that. like September 3rd, a week before the season, I expect to see him. Well, we'll see you show at Giant training yeah, camp that, that's that. probably when he'll show up. Yeah. Fair enough. Thanks for a couple of minutes. Keep up the good work. Uh, hopefully you got the 10 on an LBI so it's ready for like, uh, you know, Giant facility, Dude, 95. Your tan doesn't go bad when you're at training camp because you're standing outside all the time in like the burning heat. Your tan only gets crisper. I can understand that. All right, Jordan. Thanks for a few minutes, bro. Appreciate it. Good stuff there with Jordan Renan. Um, Number one, his Yankee point on Torres is so accurate. I understand the frustration with Torres. Torres is not the guy all Yankee fans thought he was going to be. He's the best offensive player. Like, unless they are waving the white flag on the 2023 season, they need Guaybert Torres. He's the best, outside of Judge, he's their best hitter. I think an offseason trade with Torres is far more of a distinct possibility. I'd be stunned if Guaybert Torres gets traded between now and the August 1st trade deadline. Totally stunned. And it's going to take a lot for the Yankees to really sucker me and many of you back in, even though. When I say that, there's a very good chance they find their way in the playoffs. They had a good weekend. It really did. Because they won all their games and they got help along the way. Odds are those two weekends against the Blue Jays at the end of the year, or they, I think they're midweek series. Like they play at home and then they go to Toronto. They're probably going to decide that last wild card. And then the games against Boston are probably going to decide that last wild card. So, they might be in it the whole way. They might get in, and I still don't feel like this team is really going to suck me fully in, even if they're playing postseason baseball. That's just how sour a taste I have at the moment. And I'm not exactly going to be jumping for joy if the Yankees make the playoffs, beat the AL Central, and then lose in the first round. Like, I'm sorry. That's not exactly going to do me a whole lot of good. The other point that Jordan is far more in his wheelhouse on I mean, Jordan, I love him doing a little baseball. I mean, it just got to show you. He has no uh, outhouse, wheelhouse. His wheelhouse is everything. But the team that he's near and dear to, which is the uh, New York football giants and Saquon Barkley, that would be something if Saquon tried pulling a power play like the one Tannenbaum and he was suggesting. Where he'd show up the last week at camp, not be in shape, and then all of a sudden sit that game against the Dallas Cowboys? I don't agree. I agree with the, the premise and the notion that Saquon Barkley is probably pissed off. Yeah, absolutely. Can I see Saquon Barkley missing week one on Sunday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys to make a statement? Listen, the running backs are in a really tough spot. Jacobs, Eckler, Barkley, these guys. Dalvin Cook's unsigned. Think about that for a minute. He's unsigned. Guy's one of the most productive running backs in the league a season ago. Nobody pays the position. And everybody has a premium for what they're willing to pay. So, Saquon's going to be on that franchise tag. It's a crummy situation for him. But it's not about him as a player, him as a person. This is all about Saquon and the running back in 2023 really getting the short end of the stick when it comes to front offices and the way teams and organizations value the position. One quick thought before we get to voicemail on the, uh, the golf. Total bore this weekend. Harmon wins it going away. There was never really a moment, even with a couple of early bogeys, where you felt like he was in any trouble. This tournament put me to sleep. 
And you guys know me. I love the golf. I've been into it. I thought we had a lot of fun. U.S. Open, PGA, Masters. Like, a lot of fun watching the golf this year. This was not one of those tournaments. Happens. Sometimes you get thrilling majors. Other times you get snooze fests. This would be in that snooze fest category. So, congrats to Mr. Harmon who ends up winning his first major. If you had him in your golf pools, Merry Christmas. Uh, now let's get to some voicemails. 917-382-1151. And little note, we're going to have a Twitter Spaces after Tuesday night's Subway Series game. I look forward to that. We haven't been back on Twitter Spaces in a while, so we'll be uh, rocking and rolling right after game one of the Subway Series on Tuesday night goes final. And if you're watching Baseball Night in New York before the game, which you should be because I'm going to be on the show, me, my buddy Lakata. And how about our third analyst? A guy by the name of Mike Francesa. That's right. Lakata, Jostremski, Francesa. Tuesday night at 6 o'clock on SOI. So uh, get your popcorn ready. All right. Voicemail time. Quiff, who's doing a great job filling up for Stefan. Quiff, let's hear him. Hey, JJ. This is Ryan uh, calling from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, formerly of Long Island. Uh, I am a Yankee fan, but I actually kind of wanted to bring up the Mets here. So their payroll this season, obviously, is astronomical. It's the highest ever, right? With their poor performance, do you think this is actually bad for Major League Baseball? Should we kind of be rooting for them? Not as Yankee fans, but baseball fans in general. Because now teams are going to say, well, look, the next time that money didn't work, you don't have to spend that. I could kind of see this being a negative, negative thing going forward. I'm curious for your thoughts on that, Art. Thanks, man, and I love your show. So that's a fascinating point. Not as much about the Mets and the idea of Yankee fans rooting for the Mets because of their high payroll. I think it's far more of a byproduct of what has happened with a team, for example, like the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles, as we know, blew up their entire team at the end of the 2017 season. They traded everybody away to the point where they tanked. There's really no other way to slice it, dice it, or phrase it. The Baltimore Orioles from 2018 until 2021 did not put a major league caliber product on the field in any way. They gutted it. They didn't want to spend money. And they drafted. You know what they did, though? They drafted extremely well. And the success they have had, the success the Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs have had, that to me would scare me a lot more if I'm a big market team where it's like, well, I'm spending all this money. Can I win? Is it worth it? The tanking teams having grand success that to me is way worse for the game of baseball. Because the Orioles, I mean, you're telling me you should be able to go four or five years without putting a non-competitive product on the field? Like, that's a terrible look. Terrible, terrible, terrible look. And now the grass is greener on the other side. So I'm conflicted on it. The Orioles go and win a World Series this year or next year. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be saying, you know what, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Are you going to lose some fans along the way? Yeah, you probably are. 
Are they going to come back if you win? Probably. And I think that's what they're thinking. But it's just such a bad optic. Really is a bad optic moving forward if that's how you're trying to build a major league team. So that to me is more of the interesting element than the team spending a lot of money. Let's take one more. Hey, JJ, it's Anthony from Tom's River. I uh, just saw that the Yankees completed the sweep of the Royals, which I think they had to do. Obviously, if they're going to you know, make some sort of run over the next couple of months, you can't give those easy games away. But they took care of business. I actually want to talk to you about um, the interview you did with Chris Kirshner last week. Uh, you brought up a really interesting point that if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, expect wholesale changes in the front office. My question to you is, you know, how Steinbrenner was not necessarily the heir to the Yankees. That was not the plan. Um, but he is now the owner of the Yankees and pretty much in charge of making all these decisions. Um, I was going to, like, my question is basically, like, do you see him replacing Brian Cashman at all, even if they don't make the playoffs? I mean, it sounded last week and during your conversation, it sounded like Boone and Cashman would be gone. And maybe Boone would be gone. But it kind of just seems to me he's just sticking with Cashman for as long as he can because he probably doesn't know too much about the Yankee product. And Cashman's been there since his dad was running the team. And it's almost just like a familiar face and a familiar voice. So just want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Thanks, JJ. I would be very surprised if we're living in a world where Brian Cashman is not the Yankee general manager next season, no matter what happens here. Because of that comfort level and that, feeling Hal Steinbrenner has that for whatever the reason, Brian Cashman and his presence and his tenure since 1998 puts him at ease. Even though the last couple of years as Yankee general manager, his performance and his tenure should not put anyone at ease. But I do think that is a real thing. And I, I do think that there's a little bit of a fear factor from Hal Steinbrenner saying, okay, well, if I go elsewhere, where do I go? Who would I call on? I do think there's some of that. But there's a whole lot on the line, I think, for a whole lot of people within the Yankee brass these final two-plus months of the year. And I've said this multiple times, and I'm going to say it again. I think the worst-case scenario for this franchise is to go sneak into the playoffs, win in the AL Central in that 3-6 matchup, and they get outclassed by Baltimore or whoever you end up playing in the first round. Because then I think it brings about a false sense of security to where the team is, where exactly they're going, and it kind of allows you in many ways to be delusional. So like if the Yankees make the playoffs, am I going to get excited? Of course. It's, it's the Yankees. It's October baseball. Of course I'm going to get into it. But like as I'm watching it, I'm going to be like, okay, Can I see an extended run? Because I haven't gotten one in a long, long time. And when I say extended run, I mean get to the World Series. I'm sorry, the American League Championship Series and the New York Yankees does not quantify and categorize as extended. But that's why the deadline for them is so tricky because I'm on board with the idea of getting guys who can help you for this year and next year if they make sense, if they fit. The Yankees, you know, giving up a ton of resources for guys who are going to be rentals, they've done that a lot over the last couple of years. Got an older team. That's 
that's a tough sell to me. To add multiple rentals to this team from what you've seen so far this year? Be careful. Be very, very careful. All right, before we say goodbye, Jeff Bunny, Monday card. Floor is yours. No Yankees, no Mets. So uh, curious to see where you're going. Let's hear it. What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks to be for Monday the 24th. I got two plays. My money play, I'm going to go with the L.A. Dodgers. They're minus 125 over the Toronto Blue Jays. And game number two, I'm going to take an underdog. I'm going to take the Baltimore Orioles plus the 110 over the Philadelphia Phillies. Again, two plays. My money play, I'm going to take the Dodgers minus the 125 and the Orioles plus the 110. Let's see what's on tap on your end. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. I am surprised looking at the Orioles. And I know the Phillies are playing much better. Orioles underdogs. Kramer's pitched pretty well in his last 10 starts or so. That's tempting to go and get the Orioles at plus money. Very, very tempting. Tell you one I like. Toronto late night against the Dodgers with Barrios on the mound. He's pitched much better this year. That's one I'd play. Toronto out on the West Coast. Grab them plus... 115 or so against the Dodgers, 110. That might be a little Monday night peak for me. I've been in a lab a lot the last couple of days. I have some NFL futures lined up. I have like three of my over-unders lined up. So I'm going to be like slowly but surely dropping these little hints throughout the month of August as we get closer and closer to the start of football season. So we have a fun week lined up. We will have a Twitter Spaces on Tuesday. Right after Yankees, Mets, Subway Series. It's also going to be fascinating to see, okay, trade deadline. We get some action. We get some activity over the next couple of days. Right now, everybody's kind of patiently waiting. Patiently waiting. I want some action. And in case you're wondering, I didn't see Oppenheimer and I didn't see Barbie. I'd like to see both. Maybe that'll be on the to-do list over the next couple of days. I don't know. That and trying to avoid uh, my future wife trying to kill me. We'll, do, we'll try to navigate both of those oh so carefully. All right, we're back on Tuesday. want to thank Cliff filling in for Stefan. Did a great job. JJ out. Enjoy your Monday. Be good, everybody. Must be 21 plus in presence. Select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 100-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash Connecticut. 109 within Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.